1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, in
2: 1999, my mother requested you play three blind mice on your guitar up in Maine. That and is that, true.
1: I that still was how... a very
2: strange <laughs> choice for the sing-along. Moment. That is how you brought in the 21st century, playing three blind mice with my mother. It
0: out of hand quick. It did. I tell you. I tell you. I it's had. a, memory memory. It's a weird of euphemism, one. Tim. You don't have to call it <laughs> <your blind laughs> Just because it's your mom, you can call it something different.
2: Fifty years of music with fifty-year-old white guys. 50 years of music podcast for 1998 on the drive-in podcast network welcome to 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys 50 year old white guys who are determined to get this done in 45
0: minutes yeah timmy let's do it let's baby do it. we went lean an and lean and lean in lean let's
2: go mean let's go um right off the bat we're coming in hot uh jeff simons before 1998 how would you have defined sexual relations uh, dear Lord,
1: uh, I'm trying. I to love that you got stuff.
0: Jeff there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't mean, I'm just
1: gonna make a bad joke about like a nice evening out with myself, but uh, oh, I would have defined it as the actual act of uh, congress, sexual congress, to quote um, Arcadia by Tom Stoppard. Okay, Ben, know. would you have said? Um, oh no way!
0: No way! That includes oral sex for sure. For sure. Oh,
1: now I figured out why you asked me. Of course, it includes it. <laughs> lying he's lying <laughs> lying for sure so bill I clinton know, one for me was that would have suggested tab a slot b i'm sorry i i don't i would never <laughs> have used that to describe the other thing but he was lying his ass off well even while i say that
2: okay so, i'm sorry did you say tab A slot? never mind i know that's uh, not okay man yeah no sexual relations for me would be uh pretty much hand-holding heavy petting like come on he's trying to whittle his way through testimony
1: by parsing language in such a way um isn't that the famous moment where he says it depends on what the definition uh, of is. is that's my favorite line depends from the, from on what
2: the definition of is is bill clinton embroiled in a scandal in 1998 on um his relationship with Monica Lewinsky, the young intern at the White House. Fortunately, I was studying at Oxford that summer, and I just got to, got, got to walk by the newspaper stalls and look at the headlines. and be like, huh, America's blowing up. And then just kind of keep walking and focusing on James Joyce. Uh, ben, were you here in the States for Bill
0: Clinton? Yeah, I was. And I, was like, I, we've had this conversation before, but I remain super upset about this one. Yeah. And the thing that really gets yeah. me is, uh, you know, basically when this happened, I was a younger adult and I didn't have the same perspective on it that I do now. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a law professor and I can't tell you how many really, really super likable female students I've had who I've mentored right. and I've worked with and I've helped them get jobs and they've been great for me too. Like they've been my research assistants. Sure. And I haven't sexually harassed or tried to have sex with any of them. And no. like, that's just like a sort of a baseline thing for me. It's good job, Dude, Ben Martin. this guy... This guy, and it he wasn't it her boss. He was yeah. her boss's, 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 boss's boss. Yeah, like there right. were 18 layers between him and her. Like it's so extra unacceptable. It's just yeah. really like jaw droppingly awful. Yeah. And then all the stuff that happened to her afterwards, like I just feel horrible, horrible. Not, not fair, unacceptable. not fair.
1: Not to mention giving up entirely the moral high ground for the last 23 years in the conversation about what constitutes morality and uh-huh. what does it mean to be an American and have family values. So you have family. Ones. Yeah. Like, right. I, no, but
0: that's, but th- sorry to interrupt. That's the thing that I meant though, is that I'm not even talking about being president. I'm t- like yeah. a random oh, law sure. professor in Tennessee. Like, like if you're just in a position where you sometimes have management power over
1: people, you can't make them have sex with you. Like, this is not okay. Don't do that. And it wasn't that hard to figure that out. I mean, that's the other thing, right? Like, it's not like, it's not like you're saying like, wait, 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 what? Go over oh, that yeah, again. No, like, totally. I'm it's a thing. Wait,
0: was that bad? Was I right, right. supposed to do that? Nobody it's, told me. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, everything about that was so was so egregious and, and as the older I get the 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 madder I am about it. I totally agree. I for I mean, yeah. I know some people want to just like whatever and Oh right. America, oh yeah, they definitely America do. America got its, you know, got its knickers in a twist over nothing. I I disagree. That was uh,
2: This happens all the time in France. What's the big deal? Puritanical Americans. Well, the funny thing
1: is if he'd had sex with an equal, like
0: like he did that sex with Susan Collins, I would have been like, get it in, Susan, do your thing.
1: (laughs) But I mean, (laughs) not with an intern. Amen. It really matters. It's not just that he, it's not the infidelity. It's the, it's the just- Power dynamic. Power dynamic. And that wasn't a relationship. Oh, yeah. Dave Chappelle described that. He's, If you haven't heard Dave Chappelle describe that event, it's a, he's got it down exactly right. Like he wandered out of the oval office and like looked around and was like, you come here, come here right now. I mean, there was just no relationship, my ass, but it does. It did give us,
2: it did give us the great rich price line when rich price was in South America and went to an event and reached out to president Clinton and uh, as president clinton was walking by rich rich says president clinton you you went to oxford with my father and clinton stops turns around shakes rich's hand and says who's your daddy who's <laughs> <Rich>. your daddy
1: <laughs> which who's rich has daddy? held
2: on to for a number of years that's well let's uh let's pivot away from bill clinton that's it that's the the stink of clinton is gone from 1998 1998's Podcast. We're done with him. Instead, we're going to go to the stink of the Grammy winner, Jeff Simons. It's the Grammy winner.
1: My heart will go on by Celine Dion.
0: Oh, good Lord! Right there on the bow of the ship, the arms are out. It's Titanic time, baby. If they're singing though, I'm out. I just want the music. Tell me there's not singing, Jeff Simons. <laughs> I'm afraid the of bad news singing. is singing.
1: We're About to get some singing. No, Every oh, Celine, in my dreams. I
2: see you.
1: I feel you. want to stop it right there. You know what's funny is <laughs> I, I saw Titanic like everybody else, sure, who lived, who lived within 100 miles of a movie theater in 1998. And when that song came up, and this, and I've only seen it once, I've only ever seen Titanic the one time in the theater. But I remember the song started, I was like. Oh that's hor- horrible. I just this song is so bad. I can't <laughs> believe they're wrecking this moment in the movie with this awful song. This is they're going to be rev- I was like waiting for the reviews of like Titanic, kind of a cool movie. It really looks like a ship. How about that horrible song <laughs> though? And then it became like the biggest hit oh, sure. of the decade. On oh. the Grammy.
0: Got her a uh, got so her a maybe, gig in Vegas. Permanent gig in Vegas. Yeah. The um the the, the movie everything about this movie is that story. So yeah, like, like the, guy, totally. the guy puts out Aliens, which is a great, great movie. Yes. Why you and put he her out, in charge? Then he puts out <laughs> Terminator 2, which is a great, great movie. And he goes to the studio and he's like, I want to put out this Titanic movie. And they're like, sure, yeah, whatever. You know, here's yeah. a huge check. Like, you just keep making this money. He <laughs> goes over budget by 150%. He goes to Mexico and he builds a sound stage in the Pacific ocean, he like builds a building in the Pacific ocean. And then he builds an actual boat there. (laughs) And the dudes (laughs) in the studio are like, wait, what? And he's like, yeah, I, I've spent the entire budget. We <laughs> haven't started filming. I, yeah, I don't know right. if you know, I built a building in the Pacific. And they're like, wait, what? What did you do? What, what is <laughs> going on a, here?
2: I don't have a cast yet. But no, I and also, they're
0: like, dude, you made that movie with aliens and robots. There's going to be aliens and robots, right? He's like, no, no, no. It's a love story on the Titanic. You got to write me another $150 million check. <laughs> they did. They wrote him another check. The <laughs> trades were like, this is a disaster. They should just take that money and set it on fire. Like if you go back and look at the variety articles about this movie, they're right. killing it, killing it. <laughs> and then it comes down to a huge, massive hit. The story of this song is hilarious. It's an, it's an instrumental song. And the studio's like, you know, you, you're just murdering us with this stupid movie. And you're like, just, just to clarify, <laughs> you're going to have a single from this movie and the movies it's going to be an instrumental with like a, penny whistle and he's like yes this is my plan my plan is the penny whistle and they're like look f you man like we wrote you 300 million dollar checks you're gonna have to do something useful find us somewhere to sing it so they find some norwegian woman like sigurd really? and she's the first choice and then the, the they bring it back to the studio and the studio's like are you freaking no no you're an idiot they're like "Find find someone useful so they get celine dion She records one take on it and they, they have to hide it from Cameron. They don't take it. Cameron's the name of the director. They don't take it to him because they're like, Oh, he's going to hate that. He's not, that's not going to be for him at all. So they wait until he's in a good mood and they play it for him. And they're like, the studio likes it. And at this point, he's like, whatever. Sure. Fine. Like I'm ruined. This movie's going to be a disaster. I'm he's such a, he's like, like you can actually tell from the movie. He's a weirdo and a passionate artist. So he's like, fine, fine, fine. Yeah. Whatever. Fine. So they put it in the closing credits and then it's the biggest single of the year. It's one of the like 50 biggest songs of all time. It sold a hundred million singles. It created Celine Dion. Like the whole story just kills me. That is amazing.
1: It's one of those moments, right? Where I'm like, I don't get it. I continue not to get it. I didn't get it then. I don't get it But you like the movie
0: though, right? The movie's great.
1: I thought the movie was fun. I've only ever watched it once. I mean, oh, dude,
0: B is going to make you watch it multiple times. She's yeah. going to wear no, she your is sorry not. ass out. Strap in, baby. I've got you two have... daughters. I've seen Titanic five times. <laughs> <laughs> Get ready. We'll
1: see.
0: Get,
2: we'll ready. See. Get ready. Oh, Leo. All right. That uh, is, that let's amazing. move. By the way, on. Ben
1: Barton. Ben Barton, red hot out of the gate right now. <laughs> yeah. If we were trending on Twitter right now, Ben's like 800,000 mentions and Tim and I are like in the trench. I love. He's got like a little, a little file on
0: his desk. Oh, I know this Grammy. <laughs> that was an
1: amazing, like Let me off tell you the cuff history of Titanic. I'm a little oh, little. I know everything about Titanic. I love that story. <laughs> oh, it's great. That's so great. I love that uh, he followed that up with Avatar too. Like, no, like, and that
0: was yeah. a huge hit too. And now all the stories about Avatar were like, ha ha, you're not uh, going to believe it. Right. The Titanic guy has got a movie with blue people. <laughs> Can you believe how fucking stupid this guy is? And then that's a giant hit. Yeah. And he's got two more coming. Yeah. Well, the sad thing is that your luck eventually runs out. You know what I yep. mean? Well, I'll tell you what, he went and helped design
2: the ride at Disney World, the Avatar ride. It's it's life changing. I got to say, I'm not a big ride guy. I, I, to go back to my minivan in the parking lot was really depressing. I was
1: like, I just, <laughs> I just want to fly in a dragon more. Um, uh, <laughs> I got to call shenanigans and I'm not a big ride guy. because I'm not. I, I oh, hate dude, roller coasters. Do you remember what you did to me in 1998 on Uh-oh. that freaking roller coaster on the top of that building in Vegas? Oh, this is right. the summer where you scared <laughs> me right. more than I've ever been scared in my the life. New
2: York, New York casino in so Vegas. So there's a
1: casino that is yeah. the New York skyline and at 50 stories up, there's yeah, a stupid right. roller coaster and, yeah. and I'm visiting Tim and he's like, "Hey, let's go ride the roller coaster." I'm like, "Does it go upside down?" He's like, "No, it doesn't go upside down." I'm like, "I cannot go upside down. I will absolutely freak out and have a meltdown, panic attack if you put me on a roller coaster I go upside down." It's like, "It doesn't go upside down." I was like, "I don't feel like you're hearing me about the level of intensity of my freakout." Buy a ticket. They strap us in like g g g g gunk. Bad sign. My legs are dangling. It as it takes off. And we get, we're going up the tick, tick, tick. And it's like, by the way, this goes upside down like seven, eight, nine times. And I, I, as promised, am free. Like I'm trying to free myself from the thing. And like I, we go over the top and I kind of half black out, but I remember like it swings out over the strip and yeah, we go it does. up and down it takes your picture at the end and the picture is like tim laughing and me looking at him like you son of a bitch i wish i, I wish we'd bought it it was like
2: uh we should have bought it that i love that like, a little bit memento. of a
1: ride guy you you really almost caused me to like revert 2001 style to my fetal self on a yeah. ride this year
2: yeah i took my brother on that <laughs> ride as well that was that was a that was a good little roller coaster there on the strip. And your defense right. was really good. Back to 1998, uh, the Good Friday Agreement.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow.
2: A Path Toward Peace in Ireland. Um, All parties, both uh, Great Britain, uh, parties in Northern Ireland and in Ireland all sign that. That seems like really good news. And then South Africa has its Truth and Reconciliation Commission in 1998. Like, let's unpack everything that has happened and let's try to process it and deal with it. And I'm wondering, Ben Barton, considering what happens in 1998 to the Knicks, has there been a push in the New York area for a truth and reconciliation
0: commission? Uh, they go out in That's the Eastern so Conference. man. I really go- thought we were going to talk about the Legacy Museum in uh, Montgomery, <laughs> Alabama, but you're going to go they, right to the Knicks? They go, they go out in the Eastern Conference uh, against Indiana, against the Pacers. Tough year, tough year. In 99, we made the finals, so... You know, and but then believe me, these are the salad days. When you're telling me these stories, I'm like, wait, we were in the playoffs? That sounds amazing. I was gonna say, wait, Charlie Ward? That 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 would be great. I remember that well. (laughs) Like I look back on that fondly. Those heartbreaks are the best, the best years for the last (laughs) three years of the stupid team. How long has James Dolan been the owner? He took over somewhere in there. He took over some, like he he right around like '99. That was it. Oh, interesting. Just down. Oh, yeah.
2: So someone else constructed this playoff caliber team, and then James Dolan took over, and it's been downhill ever since. It's one thing after another. Yeah, terrible. Oof. Google is incorporated as a private company in 1998. Um, the United States has a budget surplus for the first time in 30 years. And last time. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> this is true. Um, let's go to it. Let's go to the number one hit of the year, since we're in such a positive uh, mood right now. Jeff Symons, were you familiar with this song when I emailed um, it to you?
1: I haven't listened to it yet. I do not recognize it by its title. Uh, I'm hoping that it will- it
2: Nor will super, I. Let's see if Ben, a ben Barton's out. a little more hip than either of us. Not 99. It's the number one hit.
1: The Boy Is Mine by
0: Monica and Brandy. <laughs> Bass sound for our bass discussion, huh, aren't
1: So Brandy and Monica, my boy is mine.
2: Brandy and Monica. Uh, I remember Brandy. Don't remember Monica. Is this a remake of the girl is mine?
1: No, definitely not.
2: So the three of us have nothing,
0: nothing on this song. Yeah, no, I, I literally have never heard that song before. I don't think I've ever I gotta heard it say, either.
1: I got to be honest, I kind of liked it. <laughs> <laughs> You're the best, seconds. Jeff.
0: That's good. <laughs> I
2: saw was, your, sh- I saw your shoulders kind of shimmering. I was, yeah. I was
1: kind of in. Was, that sounded pretty good. Like I like the little harpsichord fake thing going on there, and uh, no, I have no, I have no no relation to that and that's weird because i there were some big ass hits from this year that i really liked so i'm surprised really like what well isn't rockefeller skank this year that song was great that was on the radio constantly and uh tub thumping still tub thumping was this year uh intergalactic was this year the Beastie boys single yeah what was the what was the big outcast song was it was this rosa parks yes it was there's a lot of good stuff on the radio this year, but I don't know that one.
2: I, I tell you what, we're getting whacked on, on our Facebook page for, for making history mistakes. Do we know anything? And the answer is yes, gentlemen, we do. We know bassists. Jeff Simons, Nice pivot. let's first play the greatest bassist in the world, and oh. then we'll get to your picks for second place. Give me level 42 lessons
0: in love. Let's go. This is host abuse, man. You are abusing your power again. I'm not proud, I was wrong.
2: Now, I I know less about music than well than any of us. But I do know that Mark King Plays the bass with his thumb. Is that badass,
0: Jeff Simons? Sure. That's cool. That's cool. By the way, Timmy, you stole my joke. I was going to list nothing but bassists that would make Jeff mad. <laughs> uh, so hold on. I've got three real quick ones. Dude, First of
1: all, there's that, nothing wrong with Alan King. He's just like, I mean, it's Mark King. Is it Mark King? I like Alan <laughs> King. Isn't that like Catskills comedian? I, like, I prefer him. <laughs> Mark King's fine. He's good. He, <laughs> plays, re- he plays real fast.
2: Um, just real quick, so, to let the listeners know, we, we've covered the top three drummers, the top three guitarists, and now let's talk about the top three bassists in rock music history. Um, so most bassists do play with their fingers,
1: right, Jeff? Uh, most bassists play with a pick, and then some play with their fingers, and then oh. it's called slapping when you play with your thumb. When you um, play with your thumb. But there's a lot of guys, I mean, like all the funk guys from the 70s play for, with their thumb. Larry Graham and uh, all the, you know, uh, Flea plays with his thumb. It's not. Uh, it's not super uncommon. All right, Ben Barton, who, who what was right, the so list? I'm gonna
0: just do my short list of three bassists. Yeah, I wanna hear, I wanna yes. hear the bassists. To, to torture the Jeff Simon. So first, super bassist, Billy Sheehan. Billy Sheehan! Five yeah. time bassist of the year by Guitar Magazine. Yeah, Where's man. he from? Definitely on my list. What band? Oh, he was in Mr. Big. And then he was also (laughs) the bassist when uh, David Lee Ross broke off. He went on his own thing. He's a, like, the reason that he's the guitar world's bassist of the year and not uh-huh. the bass magazine basis of the year is because he does all these, like, solos on the bass. On the bass. He's not a
1: bassist at all. He's, like, a guitarist masquerading as a bassist. I'm sorry,
2: was there a bass magazine in the
0: 80s? Oh, yeah, I sure. Oh, yeah. There was
1: an everything magazine in the 80s, okay. but there was a bass guitar. There's still a bass guitar player. My friend Angeline's been on the cover, like, four times in the last five wow. years. Wow, like, okay.
0: Yeah. So, super bassist Billy Sheehan was my number one draft pick to annoy Jeff. That's My awesome. number two draft pick was Ron Wood. Okay, <laughs> that's a good one, right? He plays bass, just unlike two of the Faces records. And if you hate bassists, you're like, yeah, that's that's actual bass work, right there. Yeah, that's, that's when a great. Guitarist does it. And then the last one is uh, Michael Anthony's early Van Halen work.
1: That's yes,
0: outstanding. Boom, like, boom. Bulb,
2: bulb, bulb, bulb. <laughs> So, Michael I have three I...
0: actual ones, Jeff's the expert and he can actually explain, uh, these are good choices if he disagrees, that's fine. Uh, Go. Lucy Collins. Great. Donald Duck Dunn. Great. And Mingus. Those, and I just did it basically like, what are three bases that I can name that aren't Sting and Paul McCartney? And those are the three that I came up with. All right, wait, well, I, I heard it the first two, who was the third? Ah, uh, Charles Mingus—he's the most famous uh, jazz bassist. Okay. Basically, I went through a phase, and it was like when I was in the record club. Remember, I kept rejoining the record club trying so yeah. to find <laughs> new things to buy. So I just went ahead and bought the hundred best jazz records, and then I okay. listened to them. Um, and not all of them stuck, but Mingus stuck for sure. Mingus Um, and then I, there's another record that's called Mingus 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 Mingus. <laughs> oh, I'm <laughs> sorry. Correct. Is the name of the album is what? One Mingus is called five Mingus Arm, uh, um, and the other one just
1: Mingus, 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 Mingus. It's great. That is yeah. Awesome. He, those are all great choices. Um, my the jazz bassist I want to put up is Ron Carter, who is the jazz bassist in the Miles Davis quintet from '65 to '68, and played on a gazillion tracks. He's just he's a banger, spectacular. In terms of um, rock r&b guys um i do i do think you have to put paul mccartney on there um he's actually really really, paul mccartney doesn't get enough credit for being a brilliant musician even though he's in the beatles like that's how good he is like he he is one of those guys you put him in front of an instrument and an hour later he's getting like unbelievable sound out of it like okay and and he's just and he only plays bass in the beatles because nobody else knew how to do it and then he becomes he's just a counterpoint and the fact that he can play all that counterpoint walking around and sing the lead vocal at the same time like he's a genius um and I got James Jamerson on there totally uh who is the uh part half of the funk brothers in the motown and it plays the bass on I want you back and Signed sealed delivered and it's a shame Oh right you mentioned him before any badass song from that moment um and uh I got John whistle from The Who just for like the- I knew it. What a homer pick.
0: By the way, all three members of The Who are uh, one of I've, the three best people in their instruments. I've noticed. I, but I and got two way, more. I just want to rewind. I want to rewind to the guitar <laughs> one because yeah. he chose Townsend and I went nuts. That's yeah. a homer pick and yeah. now I stand proven. I can't you wait. You I can't wait till Ron we do Ron the- Wood. I, I think that is a joke to make you mad. <laughs> oh,
2: hold on. I, I can't got can't two wait. more though. I can't wait till we do best
1: vocalist.
2: I wonder who's going to win.
1: Raj won't be on there. I, I got two, <laughs> two more. And I, these, are, these are lower, um, less well-known guys, but they're just brilliant. Graham Maybe, who is in Joe Jackson's band from 1979 okay. to 1985, is the guy I have probably stolen more from in my own life as a bassist than any other person, including Entwistle, who, I mean, that's how I learned to play the bass. I just played along to Who Records until I could play. But Graham Mabee's fantastic. If you listen to Look Sharp, I'm the Man, Big World, not Big World, uh, Beat Crazy, and Night and Day. He's just a terrific player. And then I'm going to throw Mike Watt on there, who's the bass player oh, for the Minutemen. It. And it's like- uh, For, for usually, who? Uh, he was the bass player for the punk band, the Minutemen. Oh, okay. He's yeah, yeah. the best musician in that American hardcore underground. Like they're, I don't know if the Minutemen is everyone's cup of tea, but um, Mike Watt was a- just a fantastic bass player and he's just also an incredibly great guy like mike watt is the friendliest most generous yeah. open-hearted dude in american rock and roll and so he belongs and i five is more than three and you guys cheat all the time so i don't care That's uh, well
2: one. it's interesting you say that because isn't that the role of the bass player is to figure out basically how to fit in and 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 make things cohesive like is yeah, there depends it depends Is there on the a...
1: song it depends on what kind of band you are like i mean it's funny right like i really appreciate a bass player who can really play his ass off but i don't appreciate doing that just to do it like everybody right. everybody finds out i'm a bass player and they want me to watch victor wooten videos like that's their they're obsessed with victor wooten who's their can play like a million miles an hour uh, but I'm okay. like, i don't like to watch anybody just do that like yeah, if you right. can do it within the but if you can make something if you can make a song better because of what you're doing on the low end and you do that over and over and over and over again and you're so yeah. distinctive that like i can recognize who you are before i know who the, who's playing then that's a great well, player give us
2: uh give us a quick 30 seconds of a joe jackson song so we can hear graham maybe get him
1: in our in our ears sure uh let's see let's do one where he's like ridiculously at the top of the mix ready <laughs>
0: Oh. Remind me what song is that? Got
1: the time? Oh yeah. Yeah. He's the solo in the that middle. That is great. Check this out. I mean, a, a, a lot guitarist? of people think, wow, I don't remember the name of the guitarist, actually. And that was a really tasty when he
0: came in with a, just a little tiny oh, notes there to help him out of the solo. It's likable. Really wow.
1: great band. And a lot of people think of Joe Jackson. as like Elvis Costello light. And there'll be a lot of people who think Bruce Thomas, the bassist from the attractions belongs on the list. And I, I think he was fantastic as well. But maybe... Um, Elvis was doing so much more to make the sound than Joe was. And so maybe so much more important to the sound of those early records. So yeah, he gets the nod. I made an ass of myself uh, introducing myself to Graham. Maybe it hardly strictly a couple years oh, ago. Like, no, I did that. Like, you know, he came off stage and was like, <laughs> I'm I like you. <laughs> he was very, very cool about it. Oh, I'm sure he was <laughs> thrilled. Come on.
0: He cannot be stopped by many bass fanatics. Right. Actually, that was fine.
1: I think the problem for him is he's only stopped by bass fanatics. He was like,
0: "He saw me coming." He was like, "Oh Jesus oh,
1: Christ! Oh Jesus Christ! Another bass another, player! Another 50-year-old <laughs> bass player wants to talk to me about strings." You
2: know. All right, gentlemen, anyway. let's do it. R three song. R
1: three songs. Jeff Simon's, you go first. All right, uh, because I'm trying not to repeat bands um there are a couple of like i mentioned intergalactic i love that year i the song california stars came out this year which i just love but i'm gonna go with the record i listened to most in 98 and i still have an incredibly soft spot for even though this is an artist who has not helped me stay in love with her since this record came out um from because of what she's released since but um, and, and I remember getting this, you know how sometimes you remember when you bought a record, like, so I was in Oxford with Tim in the summer of 98 Woo! and I had, uh, ordered, I would ordered a couple of CDs to have on the trip is when you had like the, the brick of CDs you brought with yourself oh, on vacation. Yeah. So, so I ordered these two CDs and they didn't come in time for the flight. So they were just sitting in my mailbox for like two and a half months. Um, so I didn't, and I didn't. You know, I didn't want to buy it a second time when we we're over there. So I didn't get to hear this record the summer that it came out. And I came home and sitting in my mailbox was Rancid's Life Can Wait, which I was, eh. But this record, Car Wheels on a Gravel Road, was the other one. Um, Lucinda Williams puts out Car Wheels in 1998. And it, it, the record has an incredible story because Lucinda puts out her first record in 1980, self-titled. Has a couple of hits for other people on it. And she's super promising, like it's country, but it's pop and she's got a killer voice and she's not afraid to like, to have a hook that isn't super twangy. It takes eight years to put out the follow-up um, and the follow-up's not great. It's called Sweet Old World. Um, it has problems in production. And uh, and so she's lost her mojo and she's kind of starting over. So she goes in to make the third record. She makes the whole record and finishes it and hates it and decides, I've got it all wrong. It doesn't sound right. She goes in, she makes it a second time, doesn't work at all. And she has a complete crisis of confidence. And she, you know, her, any momentum she generated in her career disappears. And she's trying to sound popular and she's trying to fit into the marketplace. And finally, she just grabs her closest friends in the Nashville music scene and says, "We you just help me put this record like the, i think these songs are good and this and a couple of guys who then go out on tour with her help her finish the record and she puts out this record car Wilson and the producer road. right
0: you're gonna say the producer
1: go ahead isn't it steve earl uh i don't know if it is actually you probably right that it is but um but Gurf morlix is the guitar player who is the guy who like becomes her right hand and really like helps her have the confidence to finish the record and 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 as she's putting it out she's like still like oh i haven't gotten it right i think carwell's and about road is spectacular like it's a great example of of the songs coming first over and over and over and over again and even though when i saw her live and i watched that incredible band like blow out these songs and make them longer and take these incredible solos i'm still glad the record didn't do that there's something so restrained and um magical about how well written and tight all these songs are and my favorite song has has i've gone back and forth sometimes it's joy sometimes it's the first song but i'm going to play that the, right now today it was the title tracks car wheels on the gravel road by lucinda williams
2: A house of bacon, Loretta singing on the radio. Smell of coffee, eggs and bacon, car wheels on a gravel road. Pull the curtains back and look outside. We're going to go for a ride, car wheels, on a gravel road, car wheels, on a gravel road, car wheels, on a gravel
1: road. So Ben is right, Steve Earle is Great listed stuff. as a co-producer, but the main producer of the record is actually the keyboard player from the E Street Band, yeah, Roy, Roy Bitten. Um, wow. But he did a great job. It's one of those records that it's a pop record without being a pop record, right? It's still like a, a gut bucket rock and roll record, but just the change from the closed hi hat in the verses to the open hi hat in the chorus, the introduction of the second acoustic guitar in the second half of the verse, waiting for the mandolin until after she sings the car wheels twice, waiting to have a male background vocal until that moment. Like this record's so meticulously beautifully crafted without killing the record with too much attention to detail
0: oh dude it's spare I, it's a pre- record is spare even with all the parts you're discussing that's what makes it so yep. flavorful
1: right so her anyway voice. i love this record her voice and her voice is just oh. fantastic and then she fell apart like i've seen lucinda half a dozen times and she's had a meltdown at five of those six shows like sobbing can't finish the gig and oh shoot like screaming at the sound guy or the promoter or the band and and she she made three records in 18 years. She's made 18 records it feel like in the, in the three years after this record, and they're really hard to get through and she hasn't made another great record. And she's actually starting to go the wrong direction. Like there are double CDs with 31 songs with only one good one. And I I'm bummed about that. Like, I I'm sorry that it took her so long to make her first few records, but I do wish that she would, she would slow down and, uh, take a little bit more attention to details. She she became for me her career is not unlike princes that once she felt free to write record whatever she wanted, she recorded stuff that maybe she, she shouldn't. She needs an editor. Yeah. Yeah.
0: She still puts out a couple of good songs. I mean, like each record yeah. has got a couple of songs that I like. She's got a record out this year. Every 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 one of those has got a couple of songs that I like. And I love this one. I totally agree with you. This this one's beautiful um, and uh, yeah, the production in particular is just really, really, really pulls it out. And it's a very Americana production. Like, it sounds great. It's not quite like 100% country, and it's certainly not a rock record, but it hits that kind of sweet spot right down the middle there. And also her her lyrics hit it perfectly. This one's so beautiful. It's just like a real capture of who she is and how she grew up. It's awesome. Where's she from? Louisiana, right?
1: Yeah, she's from Louisiana. Her, her dad was the poet, a guy named, uh, what's his name? Mason Williams or Harlem Williams? I can't remember. But anyway, he heard this record and call, he called her when the record came out. I was like, I am so sorry. And she's like, what are you talking about? It's like, well, this whole record's about what a terrible father I was. Oh, no. Like, that title song is just about me treating you like shit your whole childhood. Oh. And she was like, boy, I had no idea. She was like, it was so imagistic for her. She was so deep in the songs that it took other people to tell her what they were about. In some oh, cases. God um that's, that's rough anyway i love this is a great record I, it's All funny right. like i'm glad uh, i'm glad i'm holding myself to to the one, one artist, the artist somebody yeah. like lucinda, lucinda we, might have fallen off the truck so
2: it was great we got lucinda in we got level 42 in we're doing well yes. here nice tomato
0: <laughs> ben martin that's your cue yeah so when we last checked in on our friends in pearl jam It was 1993 and Versus had come out. So I went ahead and said, that was my favorite record of that year. And this whole era, Pearl Jam was my favorite by a mile. And and later on, I will discuss the many joys of being a super fan, which is like one of the best things in life as far as I'm concerned. It comes out, it's a massive, gigantic hit. Tim, this is a Wikipedia quote for you about Versus. Pearl Jam's second album, Versus, sold 950,000 copies in its first week of release and outperformed all other entries in the Billboard Top 10 that week combined. Wow. The album set the record for most (laughs) copies of an album sold in its first week of release, which it held until Garth Brooks' double Uh, live album There we go come on guard Texas stadium well well earned and also especially a double live record by him who couldn't wait in line to purchase that well done so um (laughs) our boys did not handle fame very well like 10 was a little bit weird they went to back versus and they're like we're gonna do it again we're gonna do it better we're gonna do it right they get a new drummer they put it out the they the video from Jeremy they really hated. it They put out no videos for Versus, and it's still a gargantuan mammoth hit. They start their tour, and they start getting pinged by these people about how expensive the tickets are. They start arguing with Ticketmaster. There's a full-on five-year pissing match with Ticketmaster, to the point where Jeff Allman and Stone Gossard appear in Congress to testify at an antitrust hearing about Ticketmaster. They take basically a five-year hiatus from touring in the United States. They tour all over the world, but when they come to the U.S., they can only play non-ticketmaster venues. And Jeff and I, being super <laughs> fans, we dragged our ass to some of these shows, and they were a freaking mess. Now, where, yeah, where, where are one you One example going? I remember, like, yeah. they would frequently set up in a park, They would just put up a stage and a fence around it and be like, that's where we play now because we can't play it at Arena. So we went to go Uh, see them at Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. And this isn't like, so the venue sucked. Like it's just a stage in a field. And then poor Eddie got the stomach flu. And so he played five songs. And then Neil Young came out and played for an hour and a half. And I didn't live in San Francisco. So just to clarify, I flew to San Francisco to see the stupid show. This is how much I love Pearl Jam. I was like, well, these things happen, you know. Um, I went to go see them on Randall's Island, all right? So- I love
1: the Randall's Island story. Where's
0: Randall's (laughs) Island? They can't play at Madison Square Garden. They can't play at Shea. They can't okay. play at Time Stadium. All of these are Ticketmaster venues. By the way, I mean the antitrust thing is true. It was definitely a monopoly, so they yeah. can only play these weird places. So Randall's Island is an island in the, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's a, I think it's a, it's, a, it's not on the Hudson. It's on the it's on the other side. Is it like Fire Island? It's like it's like in between uh, Manhattan and Queens. Okay, yeah, and so basically, if you take the Triborough Bridge and you look to your right you can see this thing that says Icon Stadium on it. Of course, it was called Downing Stadium at the time. So it's just a stage in a field, basically. And there's no subway service. And there's only one bridge on or off Randall's Island. And there's there's no parking. So you drive there, you get in the parking lot, you go there and you're like, what the hell? There's no seats. Uh, And it's a pouring rain. It's a monsoon. So it's like, sheets of rain are coming down on us there's mud everywhere it's a, by the way it was a great show they were really good a huge okay. mosh pit breaks out um i'm a new yorker and so i knew i was like oh we're screwed like i scoot as soon as the last note was like ran to my car drove out and i was gone People at right. the night on randall's island like you could not get off of the island it's like a and- Trump rally people just well, abandoned people, was, people were so mad at them and it broke my heart because i was like they're doing it for you like they love you that's why they're they're yeah. fighting with, with Ticketmaster." Uh, but it was it was like a border into self-destructive and also mean to the fans like the fans were out on it like i got out but believe me if i if i'd been on randall's island till four in the morning trying to get off i would not have been plea i would have been like how about play the garden that's the reason there's a service fee for the garden. It's cause yeah. I, can... I mean, I
1: saw them at I saw them that same summer at Spartan Stadium in San Jose State. You know, like, San Jose State's the commuter college, and they've got a soccer stadium that held, like, 15,000 people. And then they're hosting Pearl Jam in the one Bay Area makeup show for the Golden Gate disaster. I mean, that uh... it was over. I mean, like, you know, maybe about – 15,000 of us should have been in there. There were 40,000 of us in there. And then there were like another 80,000 jumping over fences and trying to get in. Like, oh it gosh. really was like, it was the year when everybody who loved rock music wanted to be in that show and they weren't using any of the protections to prevent that from happening. It really reminded me of the stories of shows in the late 60s where like people just knocked the fence over, yeah, came in on right. the show, couldn't start till 2.30 right. in the morning, you know? <laughs>
0: But so one of the things I loved about them was how angry they were. And this was a reflection of how angry they were. They were legitimately mad at Ticketmaster and they were legitimately standing up to them. Um, I've described what a hard time I've had with my daughters. They have no ken for Pearl Jam, no interest. I've had much better luck with other bands. This band has just been a stonewall the whole way. The one cut that they actually can name multiple lines from and know is the cut called The Shoe Rant from Indio, California. Jeff, do you know which one I'm talking about? Shoes for my friends. All right, she, so they're shoes. playing at one of these, play- these venues where they are not supposed to play. And there's a Well, you know what pit. it is now? It's now the Coachella. Oh, field. all right. So they're playing in India, where Coachella yeah. should be, which should not be a venue. Right. And, and when the girls are like, were people really angry? I'm like, this song, this, this is a rant in between songs. The, the, the people in the pit take their shoes off and they're throwing them at Eddie. And they're hitting, they're pelting him with shoes. And the girls are like, why would you pay money to go to a concert and throw shoes at the entertainer? And I'm like, this is what the 90s are like. I can't explain that, but that is what it's like. Can I give my impression? Yeah.
1: When this show's over, me and and Jeff are going to go by the front door and beat the shit out of every shoeless person that walks by. (laughs) And then he goes, oh,
0: your dirt is my food. Yeah. For no reason, I'll say that to the girls. That's the line that they know is "your dirt is my food." What, is, what like, does that mean? Hey, oh, that's that's Eddie, man. That's all I can say. About <sighs> that. Okay. I, I saw it,
1: them. I saw them three days before that show at the Greek Theater on Halloween, and it's still the best show I've ever seen in my life. They, I mean, that's the other thing Ben Scott can't undersell. Like, they were spectacular as a live act in this moment. I mean, just. They were angry, they were tight as a drum, they just made a great record. Every song was great that they played and they were right on the edge of losing it. I mean, it's everything that's thrilling about a rock show was that band in this moment. They were great. So, so
0: they put out two more records in the 90s before 98. They put a Vitology and they put a yeah. No Code. And in sure. both of these records, they're almost breaking up. Like they can't stand each other, they come in. Each, each person's got their own song. They haven't worked with each other at all. Eddie just comes in, records his own stuff. Uh, and again, this is like your mild to vary, The stories are different, but Eddie's yeah. really dominant over the band. He hates the band. He wants to break up. He can't stand being popular. The records are such a mishmash. Like, um, Vitology's got Corduroy, which is like probably my favorite Pearl Jam song on it. And it's got the Eddie accordion song called Bugs. That's literally <laughs> yeah. just him playing the accordion talking about insects. Then it's got No Code, which has got Hail, Hail, which is also a top 10 Pearl Jam song. Yeah. And then it's got a whole bunch of these crappy slow ballads <laughs> that are just really, really, really hard to listen to. 98 wow. Dawns. So, so also, by the way, this is why I did not choose 93. 98 Dawns, they record a record in 97, they release it. The record is called Yield. The cover uh-huh. of the record is just a Yield sign in the desert. And... They give up. They go, back to, they go back to Ticketmaster, and they're like, cut the fees in half and give us a break. Ticketmaster does. They finally do a full U.S. tour where they play nothing but the best venues in the U.S. Me, my brother Jake Barton, and Jeff meet in Salt Lake, rent a car, drive to Missoula, Montana to see Let's the, first, go. Show, Let's the go. first show of the U.S. leg. They've already been playing in, in Australia and Asia. We see them in Missoula at the Grizzly Stadium, and then we see them in Park City, uh, Utah. Awesome. Really, really good. Oh, so good. Later in the season, September 10th and September 11th, 1998, me and my brother go back to see them at Madison Square Garden. So this is now my third and fourth Pearl Jam show of this tour, and it must be my, I don't know, my ninth and tenth times. I've seen them more times than I can remember. Like, it's, I, I love them so much. I've seen, this is a super fan thing. I've seen them so many times, I can't even name every venue I've seen them in. But yeah. these shows I remember briskly, vividly. So, the first Pearl Jam show is good. It's a fine show, but Jeff will know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a nothing man, leather man, better man show. Like, they have these songs where you're just like, oh, dude, like, can we get to the better stuff? They get to the encore and they go off the stage. When they come back on, everybody on the floor is holding up a sign. And my brother and I are like, what's going on? And so it's like enough of a super fan thing where somebody's behind us and they're like, oh yeah, man. Listen, I was at the Meadowlands last night and they're carrying around signs that say breath on it. And I'm like, why are they doing that? And they're like, oh, they haven't played that song since 94. So breath is a super Pearl Jam deep cut. It's a, one of the two songs that's on the single soundtrack and it's a great, great, great song. It's also the very first song they recorded. It's their first demo song. Uh, Eddie, they brought Eddie in. He's like a surfer from San Diego stone gosh, was like, here's the guitar part. Eddie just sang over it and they gave that out to the record company. It's like, what do you think? So they haven't played it a long time. They come out that night, they've got the signs up and Eddie's like, ha ha ha. We're not playing that. I don't even know the song. Like, no one knows that song anymore. I can't remember the words. Still just remember the chords. We're not playing it. They finish up the night. Show's good. They come out the next night. And uh, this... So, by the way, I went and looked it up. Consequences of Sound has a top 10 Pearl Jam show, of which I have seen two randomly. Nice. September 11th, 1998, and uh, November 6th, 2000, the day after my birthday in Seattle, the last show of that tour i went up and saw that uh with my buddy and so i've seen two of these top 10 shows it's amazing anyhow this show is freaking nuts uh and jeff another super fan will know first song release
1: just uh, off to an amazing know-
0: start that's my favorite first song by pearl Jam. it's a regular they rotate through a slow song but that's my favorite then it goes hail hail animal even flow given to fly corduroy Jeez. All just right out of the gate. Wow. Then there's like a little lull. MFC habit, faithful daughter, wish list, nothing man. Then rearview mirror, brain of Jay, black, do the evolution. This do the evolution. <laughs> like when they talk about why this is one of the ten best shows, I heard an interview with Ahmed, and he, they were like, you know, what's a what's the memories that you have? He was like, oh, I remember we played Mountain Square Garden, we played do the evolution, and I was like, what's that? What's that feeling? Like is it an earthquake? What's going on? And the entire wow. arena was shaking during this song, like just wow. moving up and down. And when you watch it, when you watch the video, it looks like the, the camera's shaking. The camera's not shaking. Like everyone was losing the earth their is shaking during that. <laughs> they go off, they come back on, everybody's got the breath signs on, up again. Third show in a row where these people have printed out hundred, like 500 breath signs and they have them all holding up. <laughs> So Eddie comes out and, you know, being an old, old school Eddie guy, I know he's like, he can be angry. He's like, F you. All we do is give to you people. How dare you hold up these signs? He's like, what do you think you deserve this? And then he's like, you do deserve it. And then he kicks into this song that I haven't played since 94. <laughs> Jeff, if you will, I'm going to ask you to play two different slots. One okay. is start at 35 seconds. He sings the first line. Then he says, is that all right? <laughs>
1: Breath by Pearl Jam.
0: So, isn't that great? First of all, serious. How's that? Everyone just loses their freaking minds and also this is like a really weird pearl jam selection and yet somehow these super fans have made it where the entire like all of man's garden is absolutely thrilled to hear it then go to 150 this is the second verse he forgets one of the words this is not on purpose he forgets the words and the entire audience is singing along with him they audibly fill in the word here we go (laughs) So day in, day out, accumulating. He drops out and the crowd is actually there for him. Like you can hear them say accumulating. And he's like, oh, ha, 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 I forgot that word. Like, it's amazing. <laughs> I love this song. I know it's weird. It's a 98 one. If you prefer, you can choose the live version, do the evolution, which actually came out in 98 and is equally excellent. It's the song right before this one. But this is, this is like my favorite Pearl Jam moment. It's actually now my favorite Pearl Jam song. Um, I'll say two things about it. The first thing I'll say about it is just the joys of super fandom. Like um, Jeff and I will go to a show and I'll bring a little piece of paper, but now I do it on my phone, but I'll actually physically scroll out the set list as if I can't look it up later. And I'll try and get every single song as it goes. So like in the first 15 seconds, I'm like, what was it, what was it, what was it? Um, And this is just perfect for that. Um, It's such a rich and enjoyable experience. Like, there are some things where you get diminishing returns. Like, if you eat too much ice cream, the last scoop doesn't taste as good. Super fandom of music is not like that. The last scoop is the best scoop. Like, the more you eat, the more you like it. And this is what it was like, totally. I saw them four times on this tour, and each one was more fun than the last one. Um, And then I'll say the joys of yield. Like, one of the reasons why I chose this song is the full maturity of Pearl Jam. Like, I really, really, really appreciated it that they didn't break up. I really, really appreciated it that they kind of folded on their principles. You know what I mean? Like it was not working out for them. It wasn't working out for me. It wasn't working out for any of us. And they were smart enough to be like, you know what? We're just going to be an awesome rock band and we're not going to just tilt at windmills. We're not going to destroy it. We're not going to impale ourselves on our principles. We're going to do our best. We're going to play these great shows. And then this one, to come and play msg they were so fired up like they were so psyched to play madison square garden they went to had to go play in a field on randall's island two years beforehand and they got to play in the world's greatest arena to the world's greatest fans it's an amazing night song of the year experience of the
1: year and i'll go a step further which is for people for me as a kid these i mean eddie's our age you know right and uh you know we talked about nirvana and how how mad i was at cobain like, totally great call the opposite story this is like you're not getting along and you're young and you're famous and you're reckless and you were raised poor and you come from a broken home and you're so full of rage and ambition and you've learned how to challenge channel it and challenge each other to not break up and this band is still together they still make records they've learned how to to give each other space and come together and be a greater than the sum of their parts eddie learned how to be happy i mean it there is a less there was a lesson for our generation here and it drives me it drives me a little crazy that cobain is is the iconic hero of gen x because he He isn't. The iconic hero of Gen X is the guy who next summer will take this band out and tour and entertain 500,000 of us freely and joyfully and willingly. And I couldn't agree with Ben more about that. They said, I have found lessons about compromise, survival, and just learning how to be a better person from watching this band learn how to stay together and be good to each other and oh, whether totally. whether the storms of popularity and, and and indifference like there are moments when you're like does anybody even care about pearl jam anymore and then they're like hey i think we're gonna go on a tour and the tickets are gone in 10 seconds yeah I've, no seen, record, I've seen the no radio twice. play you know
0: I've seen them twice at bonnaroo and they were great like they still shred and that's the thing that's funny about it oh and also the cameron when they added the drummer cameron that made a big difference this is kind of peak of their power it's like they're not as raw and this is another lesson like they're not as raw as they were in 93 but they're they're kind of better they're kind of better like they're they're just really really killing it by 98 and they're sustainable and I would point to Stone Gossard too. Like there's a whole period in the first two records where, they're cl- where Eddie and Stone are basically fighting over the band. And you can mm-hmm. see why. Like uh, Mother Love Bone is Stone's band. Stone wrote all the music. He brings in Eddie. And, the f- and, and 10 is a Stone record with Eddie singing over it. Versus mm. is a mixed record between them. Vitality is an Eddie record. And there's a possibility where Stone's like, I don't know why I'm playing second fiddle of this guy. Right. But instead... He sticks with it. They work together, and they have this beautiful lifelong relationship. You know what yep. I mean? Like uh, one of the the um, one of the shows at Bonnaroo. I can't I, I can't remember which member of the band's kid it was, but they pr- brought the kid out. They had the all eighty thousand people sing "Happy Birthday" to them, and oh. I was like, "Look <laughs> at this like family affair." Pro doing
2: that. Yeah. Yep, that is awesome. The uh, what's the line from Catcher in the Rye? The mark of the immature man is he wants to die for a cause the mark of the mature man is he wants to live for one like it timmy bring that- in the
0: bring in the high round
2: yeah it's Eddie- not
1: mr andolini who said that is it The it
2: is the- now now jeff simons don't get me started on this pet versus pat uh controversy yeah, sorry. That's oh, a, that's
1: you, a, you, you don't even. I forgot I've had this That's a, with that's you a
2: deep cut
1: for the literary folks out uh, in our we'll audience. We'll talk about the sexual frustrations of Catcher in the Rye at some other point.
0: <laughs> By, By the, the way, way before that was. Can we go back to the
1: beginning? That was relations. You want to know what sexual relations were? Andolini and Holden. That's no. relations. No, I know you just said we're I not going to
2: go. There. Pet versus Pat.
0: Very different. Ben Barton, over to you. Before we let Timmy go, I'm going to go ahead and predict that this is not going to be a good one. We've had too many good Timmy's in a row. Bad Timmy's coming tonight for sure. Uh, ben Barney. I think he's going to be okay. The, uh, yeah. The,
2: the most important part of my life is, is Helen Hughes playing. So if she's involved, you can guess that it's going to be pretty darn good. Oh, good. I'm wrong. Um, I love to be wrong. Now, I was not married in 1998. But in 1998, uh, an album comes out, and I love this story. This is, uh, the album is called Mermaid Avenue, and it's uh, Woody Guthrie's granddaughter finding a bunch of his lyrics in an attic. And she's like, what do I do with all these lyrics? And she's like, well, my grandfather was a big old folk singer who's still playing folk music big right old now. And the old, only person still playing folk music is who? Billy Bragg and so she brings the lyrics to Billy Bragg would you like to record these songs from my grandfather and Billy Bragg says yes but Woody Guthrie is American through and through I need an American band to back me up on this and he reaches out to Wilco and it's just an incredible album one of my favorites I love Billy Bragg's song I I love the 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 songs where Tweety takes the lead um Jeff Simons, you sang our wedding
1: song. Um, I love that that both of you picked the song of the year that I sang at each of your weddings, which makes me very happy. Well, oh, I got bad news for you. It's not the song I sang. What are you doing? It's not the song you sang. Because
2: Hesitating Beauty is an awesome song. We love it. And yet I think both Helen and I um, gravitate more towards California stars. And we think of that as our song, Uh, Jeff Simons, hit
1: us with California stars. By the way, I agree with you. This is my favorite song of the year as well. (laughs) California stars by Wilco.
2: There's something so dreamy uh about that you know i i think helen and i are both have really great work ethics um and when you work in education you're kind of go 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 all the time and you're giving of yourself and you're you're taking a lot of energy from the kids but boy at the end of the day it's like whew, i gotta sit down or i'm gonna lay down um and i think both of us just love california stars this idea of like relying on each other and um and being able to just kind of chill out at the end of the day and just kind of
1: be in a dreamy state waiting for the next day to come along. And uh, you haven't lived until you've been in an outdoor amphitheater in California watching Wilco play California Stars. So something there's something elegic about it. It's wonderful. Right. really beautiful. Good choice. Hey Ben, the boy's on fire. Young Tim is—that's a, uh, a good one. He's That's on a very, one. very strange hot streak.
2: Hold on, let me oh. uh, let me check what ninety
1: nine ninety nine has in store for us. Uh, go ahead, talk amongst yourselves. Uh, well, I I just want to preview that things are going to get weird on my end. I have an I have a uh, acoustic trilogy of songs coming for the next three <laughs> for the next three or four years. Can you years. do that? Like, well, I just like very un- uncharacteristic me. Like I'm the loud, fast, hard guy of this group. And uh, I'm, going, I'm going soft and uh, acoustic for the next four years in a row. When did the three of
2: us go to Bonnaroo? What year is that?
0: Eight, maybe? 2008?
2: Yeah, I think that's right. Is that right? Because I've got something lined up in 99. I can't believe this album came out in 99 because it reminds me of going to Bonnaroo with you guys the first
0: one's 2001
2: the first bonnaroo
0: yeah
2: oh well i go i definitely go weird uh next year and my students think the song is weird but i i give them the video every single year and they're like dear lord (laughs) what's wrong with mr plain um all right but we will wait until 1999 for that when we will party
1: uh like prince and probably not i'm guessing we probably won't party like prince but hopefully we'll we'll make a nice little podcast for all of y'all we could party (laughs) like it was 1999 for us that'd be fun that's true that's true i have two light beers from miller and go get nachos from 7-eleven and i I believe actually that uh, in 1999
2: my mother requested you play three blind mice on your guitar up in maine that and is that, true. I still was how, a very strange choice for the sing-along. Moment. That is how you brought in the 21st century, playing three blind mice with my mother. <laughs> Tack it out of hand quick.
0: Yeah, I did. I tell you, I tell you. I it's had a, that's of a weird euphemism, one. Tim. You don't have to call it three <laughs> blind mice just because it's your <laughs> mom. You can call it something different. That's fine. That's
1: why I got so uncomfortable at the beginning of the podcast. I'm like, you're going to bring this up now?
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'll see you guys
1: later.
2: later. Hey, if you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes, give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-year-old white guys.
1: trick